The Capital Gazette Murder Trial from Chris Gordon News and Vox Topica. Here's your host, Chris Gordon. Mass murderer Jared Ramos was delusional. He does not perceive reality like the rest of us. That's the conclusion of the psychiatrist testifying for the defense. Dr. Dorothy Lewis says Ramos not only suffers from delusions, but also diagnoses him with obsessive compulsive disorder and autistic spectrum disorder. The jury will decide if that's enough to prove that he didn't understand his conduct was criminal or that he couldn't control himself when he shot his way into the Capitol Gazette newspaper offices, killing five people, terrorizing the survivors. Ramos pleaded guilty, but not criminally responsible. His defense team of lawyers concluded their case with Dr. Lewis. Her testimony followed other defense expert witnesses, psychologist Dr. Katherine Yeager and neurologist Dr. Thomas Hyde. For 50 years, Dr. Dorothy Lewis has specialized in studying violence. She evaluated high-profile criminal defendants, including Mark David Chapman, who killed former Beatle John Lennon the Beltway sniper, John Allen Mohammed, and serial killer Ted Bundy. Dr. Lewis has been the subject of a documentary, and she wrote a book called Guilty by Reason of Insanity. She told the jury her opinion is that Jared Ramos was not able to appreciate the criminality of what he was doing at the time of the Capitol Gazette mass shootings as a result of a delusional disorder. But prosecutors argue there is no clear test for diagnosing mental illness, unlike DNA, fingerprints, and other forensic testing that render measurable results, mental health experts can and do disagree when it comes to forming a diagnosis. The prosecution has its own set of expert witnesses with an opposite view of Ramos, characterizing him as cool, calm, and calculating. This podcast will give you the evidence the jury is evaluating so you can make up your own mind. The only question the jury has to answer is this. Is Jared Ramos criminally responsible for these mass shootings, or will they find him not criminally responsible due to a substantial impairment at the time of the shootings, a mental illness making him unable to appreciate the criminality of his conduct or conform that conduct to the requirements of law. This is Maryland's insanity defense. The jury of eight men and four women are not deciding whether 41-year-old Gerald Ramos is guilty. The judge, Michael Wax, told them right at the start that Ramos pleaded guilty to five first-degree murder counts, and in all, a total of 23 charges resulting from the mass shootings. The only issue for them to decide is whether he's criminally responsible or not criminally responsible. Dr. Dorothy Lewis testified that Ramos can't appreciate the magnitude of the tragedy and sadness for these families. Dr. Lewis met with Ramos, interviewing him for 17 hours in his jail cell, and spoke with his younger sister, Michelle Jeans. She looked at his school records, employment records, and the many court papers he filed in his long-running feud with the Capitol Gazette when he acted as his own lawyer. Based on all that, she diagnosed Ramos as having a delusional disorder, obsessive-compulsive disorder, and autism spectrum disorder. 
Lewis describing a delusional disorder as a serious psychiatric illness. He suffered from paranoid, delusional thinking. He felt persecuted, believing that there was a conspiracy against him. Psychologist Katherine Yeager testified, autism spectrum disorder is characterized by deficits in social communications and the ability to relate to others. Both Jaeger and Dr. Hyde believe Ramos is on the mild to moderate end of the autism spectrum disorder. Dr. Jaeger testified that Ramos has OCD, typified by irrational obsessions and ritual compulsions. Mr. Ramos feels very strongly about fairness, right and wrong. He felt his life was ruined by the Capital Gazette. She said now in jail, he fears germs and contaminates. He calls them zombie viruses, zombie apocalypse. He would compulsively clean his cell, she said. But prosecutors countered, pointing out on cross-examination that Ramos also smeared his own feces in the vent of his cell to manipulate the jail to move him. The defense experts base much of their findings on the family history they got during interviews with Ramos and his younger sister, Michelle Jeans. They say Ramos was a loner with few friends. When he was 30, he took inventory of his life, deciding he wanted to contact a woman who was kind to him in high school. It turns out she didn't remember him. She soon cut off contact, wanting nothing to do with him. Ramos wouldn't let go. He monitored her social media. When he saw pictures she posted drinking alcohol, Ramos called her boss saying she was an alcoholic. Ramos was convinced it was the right thing to do. But the woman pressed harassment charges against him. Ramos pleaded guilty. Reporter Eric Cartley from the Capital Gazette covered the harassment case, interviewing the woman, and wrote the article called, Jared Wants to Be Your Friend. Ramos was angry, demanding that the report be retracted, that the newspaper apologize and allow him to tell his side. Ramos felt the story was inaccurate and that any woman he might meet online could Google him, find the article, and think he's crazy. It quoted Ramos as saying, F you, leave me alone. Ramos told his sister it never happened and made no sense because the woman had not contacted him for some time, so why would he tell her to leave me alone? Ramos believed the article destroyed his life and any chance for a relationship. He filed a defamation lawsuit against the Capital Gazette, reporter Eric Hartley and his editor. In court papers, Ramos wrote, he who has lost his reputation is a dead man among the living. His defamation case was dismissed and his appeals were denied all the way up to the Maryland Court of Appeals, the state's highest court. Ramos believed that Eric Hartley had been unfair to him and so badly hurt him that Hartley didn't deserve to live. Ramos planned his attack on the newspaper for years, even after Eric Hartley left the Capitol Gazette and moved away from the area. Dr. Lewis testified Ramos killed a random group of people who worked at the Gazette. He was shooting at an abstract concept of an unjust and uncaring world. He felt that in the larger scheme of things, it was justified and he would in some way be redeemed. Dr. Lewis saying, it was a wild, paranoid fantasy. He thought the families of the shooting victims would sue the Gazette and the Gazette would go out of business. 
Dr. Lewis testified this is a psychotic response. Mr. Ramos felt that because his defamation case was rejected, there were no rules. He believed that the Capitol Gazette and the Maryland courts conspired against him. His defense lawyers portray Ramos as perceiving that his acts were right, justified and necessary. He has no remorse. Defense lawyer Elizabeth Palin asking jurors to decide the case, not with your head, not with your emotions and compassion, but through the rule of law. Dr. Lewis was asked, did Mr. Ramos think that what he did was criminally wrong? She answered, he knows what he did was against the law. He did not appreciate the criminality, the wrongfulness of what he was doing, but he knows it was illegal and he'd be arrested and punished. He does not appreciate the magnitude of the heartbreak of the tragedy, the enormity of the crime he committed. Lewis added, Mr. Ramos lacked the capacity to conform his conduct to the requirements of law. He was compelled by psychotic thoughts and impulses. He was paranoid and he was unable to control his behavior. He had an overwhelming compulsion to do the right thing. He was unable to relate to the people he shot and he was unable to think beyond to the wives, mothers, and families he hurt. Dr. Lewis says his relationship with his cat, Tiger, was his only attachment to a living, breathing thing. Tiger had cancer. Near the end of her life, Ramos held the cat in his lap for two straight weeks, almost round the clock, urinating in a bottle so he wouldn't have to bother the cat by getting up. Ramos didn't shower. Dr. Lewis testifying that relationship tied him to reality. When that was broken, he was broken. Ramos had no other relationships. He had never kissed a girl. Dr. Lewis called the cat his fur wife. Ramos took the cat to the vet. Before he had Tiger euthanize, he stroked her, telling her she was a good cat. Prosecutors pointing out this indicates he was capable of caring. Once the cat was dead, Ramos was free to launch his plan to attack the Capitol Gazette. Dr. Lewis said he killed a random group of people who worked at the Gazette. He was shooting at an abstract concept in what he felt was an unjust and uncaring world. Lewis said Ramos attacked the Gazette knowing that reporter Eric Hartley and his editor were no longer there. Ramos wanted them to suffer with survivor's guilt, knowing that their article had caused him to kill innocent people. Dr. Lewis testifying it was a crazy fantasy of his. Seven days into this trial, the defense rested. They presented their case first because the defense in this trial has the burden of proving to the jury by a preponderance of the evidence that Ramos should be held not criminally responsible. By law, prosecutors have no burden in this case to prove anything, but they are putting on an extensive case with a lengthy list of witnesses, including police, medical examiners, and their own psychiatric experts trying to show that Ramos knew just what he was doing. Anne Arundel County State's attorney, Ann Colt Lightus, began the prosecution's case telling the jury, this is about revenge. It's not about mental health, it's about revenge. 
He did not get satisfaction from his defamation lawsuit against the Capital Gazette, reporter Eric Hartley and its editor. When this article was written, he took it as a personal slight. He sued and lost. He believed the judge who dismissed the case was corrupt. His narcissistic personality disorder made him think he was smarter than everyone else. When he lost his appeal, he realized he was not smarter and he wanted revenge. Prosecutors say at first Ramos decided to attack the Maryland Court of Appeals, but realized it's protected by armed guards and police. So he picked a soft target, the Capital Gazette newspaper. The prosecutor told the jury, a person with autism spectrum disorder is inflexible and can't pivot. But Ramos had plan B. She said that shows his flexibility and is a reason why he doesn't have autism. In 2016, Ramos started giving things away as he planned the attack. He ran up his credit cards to $90,000 knowing he wasn't gonna pay it back. By the time they tried to collect, he'd be in prison spending the rest of his life there. In 2017, he did recon at the offices of the newspaper to get the layout of the building and plan his attack. On June 28, 2018, he drove to the paper in a rented car. He had sold his own using the proceeds to finance the attack, having no need for a car afterwards. Ramos arrived at 2.21 p.m. He wore a shirt and tie to look like someone working at a law office. He walked into the building right past reporter John McNamara, who was outside. But Ramos didn't shoot him then. Prosecutors say it shows that Ramos could conform his conduct to the law, which they say is another reason he wasn't suffering from mental illness. On the stairwell inside the building, Ramos took off his shirt and tie. He put on protective glasses and inserted earplugs. He removed the 12-gauge shotgun from a cardboard tube. He'd customized the gun with a laser scope and a flashlight. He had ammo and smoke grenades. He brought heavy black metal barricades called barracudas, jamming them under exit doors leading out of the newspaper offices to trap his victims inside, preventing their escape. Prosecutors say Ramos put on a stopwatch, knowing from his research that in mass shootings, it takes about five minutes for police to arrive. They say he was prepared and he knew how long to operate. At about 2.30, he started the stopwatch as he reached the front glass double doors. He brought a chain with him, but he didn't use it, finding the doors were locked. He shot his way in, blasting the door, shattering the glass. He shot sales assistant Rebecca Smith. She crawled over a counter, collapsing by the doorway on the shards of glass. Six survivors were called as witnesses by prosecutors to describe the horror that day. Photojournalist Paul Gillespie said he was sitting at his desk working on pictures. I heard a loud noise, the sound of glass crashing. I turned around and saw someone with a shotgun. I crawled under my desk. I thought, I can't believe this is happening. I'm gonna die. I heard a gunshot going off. Gillespie continued, I heard Wendy Winter say no. I heard Gerald and Rob. I heard them making sounds in pain. I looked toward the back. I saw the gunman. I ran. I heard the shot. It felt like the wind on the back of my head. 
Prosecutors say shotgun pellets narrowly missed killing Gillespie. Reporter Celine Sanfelice testified that she heard the glass shattering. Then she heard shots. She ran to get out the back door, but it was locked. She hid under a desk with intern Anthony Messenger. She saw Rachel Pacella run to the back door, trying to escape, smashing her face against the door when it didn't open. She broke her glasses, cut her face, and suffered a concussion. Reporter San Felice said she saw John McNamara. He was unable to find somewhere to hide. San Felice testifying, he said, oh my God, I saw him get shot. I saw the bullets going into his chest and stomach. He was laying right in front of where I was. San Felice told the jury, I was waiting to die, I was praying. At a certain point, I realized I needed to pray for John and not just myself. Capital Gazette ad sales representative Janelle Cooley said, the noise she heard was loud and startling. It was a long gun. I'm scared. I hid under my desk. I hear, there was a long pause as she sniffs back tears saying, sorry. She composed herself and continued, I heard a small quiet voice saying, no, 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 no. Then I heard someone's here to kill us. I saw green laser lights at the filing cabinet. I saw Rebecca in the doorway. She was still alive. She was doing a crawl, trying to get out of the office over the shattered glass in the doorway. I looked back and saw him, and he saw me. I was, nope, and hopped over Rebecca and hightailed it out of the office, running into the parking lot. Cooley cut her hand on the broken glass in the door. Prosecutors say at 237, Ramos used Paul Gillespie's laptop computer to post a taunting tweet. They told the jury the tweet is extremely important, showing that he had the ability to conform his behavior, to compose, send a tweet, and then exit out of the computer. He then called 911, saying, this is the shooter. When the operator asked, where are you? He replied, I'm at 888 Bestgate, Suite 104. He repeated, Bestgate Drive. Bestgate, and then spelled it out, B-E-S-T-G-A-T-E. At that point, the 911 call ends. Prosecutors say Ramos had a plan to survive. He placed the shotgun away from him, near the body of one of his victims. Ramos laid face down under the desk where he'd used the computer and removed the band from his ponytail to look like a victim, not making a sound, not moving. At 2.51, an officer spotted him. Ramos yelled, I surrender, I surrender. Police handcuffed him and let him out. He refused to tell the SWAT team what was in the duffel bag that he'd left in the hallway. They were concerned that it might be a bomb. Prosecutors told the jury, Ramos does suffer from a mental health disorder, a personality disorder, but personality disorders don't get you a verdict of not criminally responsible. He committed a mass shooting and lived to enjoy it. In planning for the attack, Ramos bought a lifetime membership to the U.S. Chess Federation. Prosecutors say a month and a half after the shootings, Ramos wrote to the Chess Federation asking them to send their magazine to him in jail. Prosecutors saying that fact alone shows he understands the criminality of his acts. 
it could be an indication of the impact all this is having that a juror passed a note to the judge saying, out of respect for Miss Rebecca Smith, can we not watch the video of her trying to flee for her life? Truthfully, I'm not sure we need to see the video of any of the departed again. In my next episode, prosecution experts on mental health testify why, in their opinion, Ramos should be held criminally responsible for the mass shootings. Then it's up to the jury to decide. Will they be able to reach a unanimous verdict? If they find Ramos criminally responsible, he goes to prison for life. If they decide he's not criminally responsible, he'll be sent to a maximum security hospital for psychiatric treatment. He'll be monitored. And one day, Ramos might be reevaluated and released. Capital Gazette Murder Trial is a production of Chris Gordon News and Vox Topica. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. Podcasts.